0: Pepperidge Farm, Milano. The future is closer than you think, and it all starts in the palm of your hand. You may have heard the news 5G is coming. In this new iHeart series, This Time Tomorrow, presented by T Mobile for Business, join me, Oswald Oshin, and my co host, Cara Price, as we walk you through the true revolution in mobility that will change the way we interact with the world around us. Join us and hear just how close we are getting to a more connected future. This Time Tomorrow is now available on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Welcome to the podcast. I'm Deblina Chakraborty. And I'm Sarah Dowdy. And when we put out the call for listeners to send in their favorite royal stories a few weeks ago, one of them really stood out from the rest because it involved an American monarch.
0: Which we don't have those.
1: No, not at all. Which is why we have to talk about people like our King of Pop, Michael Jackson. Or Or even the
0: Kennedys. I mean, (laughs) they might have a slightly better claim to it.
1: Right. But listener Colleen shared a story her grandmother used to tell her about her grandfather years ago. Colleen's grandfather, you see, was of Irish descent, but born on a place called Beaver Island, Michigan. And her grandma told a story of how the Irish fishermen there went to war with the king of Beaver Island and eventually claimed the island for the Irish settlers. So it turns out, while Colleen's grandmother probably took some creative license in there with the details of her story that she told, there actually was a man named James Strang who had himself crowned the king of Beaver Island in the mid-1800s. The best parts are true. Yeah, absolutely. And what's more, he set up a substantial community there of about 2,500 people over which he had really absolute authority. And he even managed to get elected to the Michigan House of Representatives.
0: Yeah, which is a more conventional authority for you. But we're going to be talking about how Strang got to this place in the first place, how somebody became king, how he managed to take over Beaver Island and how his kingdom worked. Because if this is an American kingdom, we've got to go into the details there. And we're going to talk about all of that stuff. But first, we're going to take a look at how this very unconventional monarch got his start. He was born in 1813 and his name was James Jesse Strang before it
1: was King of Beaver Island. Yeah, he grew up on a farm, and even though he's often described as having been frail and broody or moody, you see a lot of adjectives like that used for him, in his early years, he was apparently really ambitious from the start. By age 18, he was a school teacher, and a few years later, he became a practicing lawyer. He also served as a postmaster, a real estate speculator, and he owned and operated a weekly newspaper.
0: Yeah, but he had higher aspirations than all of that, and according to his diary, he was hoping to eventually entertain some sort of royal match. Um, According to an article by Bill Gilbert in the Smithsonian, in one diary entry, Strang said, quote, My mind has always been filled with dreams of royalty and power. I've spent the day in trying to contrive some plan of obtaining in marriage the heir to the English crown, who, of course, at this time was young Queen
1: Victoria. I really want to know what his plans are there. I know. I don't even know how you started Ambitious to come up with a plan match. like that. And though he obviously held on to these ideals to some extent, he did give up on the idea of marrying Victoria and instead married a Mary Purse, the sister of his friend at age 23. And in 1843, they moved to southern Wisconsin, where Strang started practicing law there.
0: Yeah, and this is where Strang's story starts to take a major turn. Up until this point, he's an ambitious guy, with some royal dreams. But even though he had previously described himself as an atheist, Strang started to take a really strong interest in the Mormon religion, perhaps as a way to improve his position. And he even met the Mormon leader at the time, Joseph Smith, in 1844 in Illinois, and soon after was converted
1: and even became a church elder really rapidly. And here's where we should mention that Strang had pretty much always been a powerful public speaker ever since he was a young man. And Smith was apparently really impressed by these particular skills. So he charged Strang with founding a branch of the church in Burlington, Wisconsin. Shortly after that, though, Smith was killed by a mob on June 27, 1844. And who should step up ready to claim the place as his rightful successor but Strang? He was 31 at the time and had been baptized a Mormon only four months before this. So like
0: I said, a very rapid rise in the church. And he he had some evidence to back him up. He wasn't just saying he should be in charge. He produced a letter containing Joseph Smith's own blessing for Strang to take over as, as his successor. But Brigham Young, of course, and other members of the church didn't go along with that. They accused Strang of Forgery. And of course, Young ended up being the one who led the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But Strang did end up with a small following of his own. He was charismatic enough to pull that much off.
1: Yeah. And by September 1845, about 400 Mormons who would come to be known as Strangites had followed him to southern Wisconsin. And Strang spent the next couple of years proselytizing and preaching. And eventually he unearthed some mysterious brass plates that essentially corroborated this idea that he was chosen by God to take over for Smith. And these plates also became an essential part of the Strangite scripture.
0: Yeah. So a a strange twist in his story. But by 1847, Strang had... scoped out a new location for his, his followers. It was Beaver Island, and he decided that God wanted him to bring the Strangites there. And it's unclear exactly why, exactly how that happened. At the time, he referred to having received some sort of vision from God or some directive, like a A direct order to move them to this island. But it's also said that he spotted the island while he was traveling by ship the year before. And it probably seemed like a nice place to go the ideal place to, to shelter your people from outside influences. It was it was a small island and it was 25 miles off the mainland in Lake Michigan.
1: Yeah, but regardless of the reasons why, by 1848, Strang had formed a colony there, and by the summer of 1850, he announced that he'd been divinely directed to become king, and nobody there really opposed him. So on July 8, 1850, Strang was coronated, and at the time he was wearing a red nightshirt-like robe, which was decorated with stripes of white flannel, and his throne was a chair frame padded with moss, and his crown was made of gilded metal and paper.
0: Yeah, so seems like a low-key king, not too fancy with his his vestments, at least.
1: Yeah, but he still had absolute power over his subjects. He made all the rules, whether of a political or a moral nature. He could essentially make laws about anything, from where you could live to what you wore and even who you married. For example, he legalized polygamy, even though he had been opposed to it as a Mormon. Yeah, and he apparently made this decision right around the time, coincidentally, that he met a beautiful young 18-year-old named Elvira Field, a recent convert to his faith. And he married her in secret, I think, before he actually came out with his new feelings about polygamy. He married her about a year before and sort of traveled around and dressed her actually as a 16-year-old boy, just as an aside, and introduced (laughs) her as his nephew, Charles J. Douglas.
0: Oh, that's really awkward.
1: He eventually did come out with it, though. And his first wife, Mary, didn't like that much. She and her children actually left the area after that. In general, though, he really didn't get a lot of objections to his rules from his Strangite followers. But not everybody was so happy with this setup.
0: Yeah, not at all.
1: Or with the Strangites' presence on the island in general.
0: That's because there were already settlers on the island before Strang showed up, mostly Irish Catholic fishermen and traders and their families. And they weren't at all happy with with the Mormon colonists moving in and in some cases stealing their land, um, at the very least just kind of interrupting their own scene. And it led to a lot of violence between the two groups. There were buildings that were burned down, gunfights, beatings, and this might be the war that listener Colleen's grandmother was talking about. But according to the Beaver Island Historical Society, the conflict eventually led to something called the War of Whiskey Point, which the Mormons won by firing a cannon at a gang of their opponents. And more and more, Non-Mormons, who were known as Gentiles, left the island. They just gave up and got out of there eventually. And they were increasingly outnumbered. And by 1852, they were
1: pretty much gone. Word of this violence did get out, though, and the government eventually did intervene. In May of 1851... President Fillmore sent a company of marshals and the Navy's first iron-hulled warship, the USS Michigan, to Beaver Island to arrest Strang on 14 charges, including trespass on public lands, Counterfeiting and obstructing the U.S. mail. But after a month-long trial, Strang was acquitted of all charges, mostly because some of the prosecution's testimony was discredited.
0: So yeah, you'd think that Strang would be pretty happy that he had gotten away with it, that he was he was free and victorious. At that point, he pretty much considered his kingdom separate from the United States. He figured his laws were above those of the not only the country but the state and at least as far as his island was concerned. As far as Beaver Island went, yeah. He wasn't having jurisdiction over the rest of the country but then he did make a move to increase his sphere of influence and it happened a day before election day in 1852 he announced his candidacy for state representative and because Beaver Island was the most populous community in northern michigan at the time strang was He got an easy win. He was easily able to win the seat and encourage his supporters to get out and vote for him.
1: Yeah, not everyone just accepted it right away, though. According to an article by Conan Bryan Eaton in the Wisconsin Magazine of History, his opponents really tried to prevent him from taking this office. But once he did, people were actually pretty impressed by his skills as a legislator.
0: Put those old lawyer skills to use, I guess.
1: Yeah, the debating skills. The public
0: speaking. Yeah, that
1: had so impressed Smith earlier also impressed his peers.
0: Yeah, but he also used this opportunity as state legislator to the reach of his his religion and his kingdom in a sense even during his time in office he was re-elected in 1854. He managed to extend the reach of these Strangite colonies to other counties in Michigan.
1: Yeah, and he also worked all the while to recruit new subjects for his territories. According to Gilbert's article, the state census of 1854 puts Beaver Island and surrounding islands at 2,608 permanent residents, making it the largest community in northern Michigan at the time.
0: It's amazing no one was threatened by him, by this power and his high position.
1: Well, it's funny you should say that because I think some people were. They were intimidated in the sense that they didn't want to get on his bad side because he did have this huge Um, contingency. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one wrong word could get all these people voting against you.
0: Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's that's kind of a dark underside of Strang's kingdom. But he did do some good, too. And we've we've got to mention that while we're talking about his reign, even though there was
1: violence and shady dealings involved, he he didn't do all bad. For one thing, Beaver Island became quite prosperous thanks in part to exports like wood, fish, and potatoes, which together had an annual value of about $325,000, which was a lot of money at the time. And settlers there also created this network of good roads, and they also made strides toward improving relations with neighboring Native Americans by feeding them, building a school for them, and accepting them into their church. Um, African Americans, by the way, were also welcome, too. And according to Eaton's article, this seemed to be a really sincere, benevolent interest of Strang's, which I found to be really intriguing, considering he seems so politically motivated in other aspects.
0: Definitely, but because we talked about those good things, we're also going to go into a little more detail about the not-so-good side of of Beaver Island and of Strang's rule there. But during his eight-year stint on Beaver Island, he continued to keep really tight control over every single aspect of his subjects' lives. And that ultimately seems to be what led to his downfall. It kind of reminded us of the Oneida community that we talked about maybe a month or so ago. Once you get too personal for your followers, they seem to ultimately rebel.
1: Yeah, for example, he required that all of his subjects build their homes in one of the island's villages, even farmers who had acres and acres of land to tend to, because he was afraid that isolation, if you were out in your 160 acres of farmland would cause people to shirk their religious and civic duties. Okay, but at least that's kind of like your classic
0: Versailles sort of model on a small scale. True. It's, it's this next point that really sort of did him in. In 1853, he made a law that women should dress in knee-length smocks worn over pantaloons because he thought that the typical dress of women at the time was impractical and it was unhealthy. And most of his his women followers went along with that. They were okay switching to the pantaloons, but a few including Mrs. Thomas Bedford refused to comply. She she wouldn't wear the new styles and as a result her husband received 39 lashes with a willow whip and became obsessed, absolutely obsessed with getting revenge on his king.
1: Yeah, and he started conspiring with Alexander Wentworth, who also had a beef with the king. It's kind of unclear why, maybe also because his wife wouldn't comply with the dress code. Maybe he had been punished for some other reasons, too. But regardless, the two of them started conspiring with a couple of other rebels who encouraged them and supplied them with pistols. And on June 16th, 1856, Bedford and Wentworth ambushed Strang at St. James Wharf. They shot him twice in the head and once in his left side and spine. And
0: miraculously, Strang survived
1: the attack and lived for 10 days
0: after that, but he refused to name a successor. And panic really started almost as soon as he as he was attacked. He was taken to his parents' home in Wisconsin, and he died there on July 9, 1856, which was six years and a day after his coronation.
1: Yeah, and as for Bedford and Wentworth, they were brought to trial, but they were only fined a dollar twenty-five for court costs.
0: Yeah, and I think he said some people considered them heroes even. That's true. Rebels, I guess. But Strang's kingdom did not last. It did not live beyond Strang himself. It dissolved pretty quickly, and some of the residents left on their own immediately, as I mentioned a minute ago, right after he was shot. Things started disintegrating. And for those who didn't get out on their own, a lot of them were herded onto ships by armed groups of non-Mormons who stormed the island, headed towards random destinations. They didn't know where they were going.
1: Exactly. And a lot of former Strangites, just rejoined the general population after that when they ended up wherever they ended up, and they became members of other churches. Um, As of the late 90s, there were only about 300 practicing Strangites still around, but there are still some around.
0: Yeah, and as for Beaver Island, once Strang's kingdom was gone, the Irish fishermen came back. They started to show up. A lot of them came from County Donegal in Ireland, and eventually some came to call this area America's Emerald Isle because it had the look, and it had the population, and Gaelic was commonly spoken on the island until the 1930s.
1: So that almost seems like too quiet and serene an end for a podcast that has had some sort of unusual stories in it. It's
0: been a very unusual podcast.
1: Yeah, and I think the same island, Beaver Island, continued to have some sort of interesting characters and stories um, throughout its history, even after the Strangites left. Um, if you know of any of them and would like to share them with us, or if you have another personal story, concerning monarchs or anything else that you'd like to share, you should hit us up at our email address, which is historypodcast at howstuffworks.com or you can look us up on Facebook or on Twitter at History.
0: Yeah, most of our other selections we picked for the the royalty contest involved mistaken identities of, of British royals. They were pretty entertaining. And if you want to learn any more about polygamy, one of the themes we talked about today, we have an article on the website. You can search for for how polygamy works by typing in polygamy on our homepage at www.howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast,
1: Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived.
0: Download it today on iTunes.
1: Some of whom may be celebrities, as well as the best legal, financial, and mental health professionals in the country, our goal is to educate, enlighten, empower, and entertain you on the way to a better understanding of how relationships work. iHeartRadio is number one for podcasts, but don't take our word for it. Find All's Fair with Laura Wasser on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Hi, guys. My name is Sammy J. I have been working as a correspondent and interviewer since I was 13. And now at 17, I am so honored to be the youngest person to have her own podcast on iHeartRadio. It's called Let's Be Real with Sammy J. We'll have in-depth and unfiltered conversations with celebrities, activists, athletes, and influencers. We'll cover topics we're curious about, topics my guests are passionate about,
1: and topics many of us are just too afraid to talk about. I get past the fluff to what's real. We go there, and it's fun, pretty crazy, and very revealing.
0: Listen to Let's Be Real with Sammy J on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.